Welcome to the Saturday Cadence Podcast, your ultimate destination for all things college football. I am your host, Blake Biscardi, and our podcast is a must-listen for avid fans, casual enthusiasts, and anyone looking to immerse themselves in the thrilling world of college football. Join myself and David Wertheim as we guide you through the intricacies of college football, offering valuable insights, analysis, and captivating discussions while keeping you up to date with the latest news and recruiting developments. We go beyond the headlines, which is what separates our show from other college football outlets. Our podcast is not just about news and analysis, it's also about the people behind the game. That's right, it's about you, the fan. We bridge the gap between fan and fame. Join us and embrace the thrill, excitement, and strategic brilliance that define college football. Tune in, stay informed, and be a part of the conversation that shapes the sport we all love. I'm Blake Biscardi, and remember, the Saturday Cadence Podcast is the heartbeat of college football. Three in a row for the Maize and Blue, potential Big Ten championship drama, a loaded slate of conference title games ahead of Selection Sunday for the college football playoff. Welcome to the heartbeat of college football. Blake Biscardi and David Wertheim with you for the 63rd episode of the Saturday Cadence podcast, part of the Silver Bulletin Network. David, we saw an instant classic in Ann Arbor, Michigan, continuing their winning streak now at three games. A good football game all around. I know we're going to break that down here in a second. Any opening thoughts? Yeah, it was a great football game in Ann Arbor. Lived up to the billing. Michigan, the three-and-a-half-point favorites, winning by six. Um, and it came down to the last play. So that's all you can ask for in a game like that. Congratulations to the Wolverines on winning their third in a row, uh, getting this one done at home. So good for them now. Slated to once again be in the college football playoff. And tough luck for the Buckeyes who couldn't get it done on the road. Yeah, David. So as we break this game down, the where I want to start, so we'll go with how did Michigan win? And then we'll see how did Ohio State lose. So if we start with Michigan, how did they win that football game? What were the things that stuck out to you as you either watched the film or took in the game live on Saturday? Yeah, to me, it just seemed like Michigan just, you know, if Ohio State was playing at 100%, Michigan was playing at 101%. They just kind of went that extra mile, you know, gained an extra yard or two when they needed to. J.J. McCarthy made a couple of really impressive throws that, whether intentional or not, got the job done. Um you know, Roman Wilson's touchdown versus Denzel Burke interception, you know, that call is going to be debated like the JT Barrett call in 2016. Uh, but Michigan gets that one to go their way. Obviously, that's a huge swing in the game. Uh, Michigan making a couple field goals when Ohio State missed a couple field goals. Um, just stuff like that, that, you know, they were able to make the play when they needed to get the job done in the end. I was impressed by that. Um, for Ohio State, obviously losing the turnover battle killed can't throw those two interceptions. Um, that's really what killed him in the end, giving Michigan those two bonus possessions. Um, and ultimately, the Wolverines just made a few more plays than the Buckeyes did, and and that's what led to the to the result. That's what we talked about, too, on the preview show, and we really took a deep dive into this game, was on Michigan's standpoint, we knew that they were going to be at home, so they would have that crowd and that energy behind them, and they would be at full capacity ready to go. They were very efficient on offense, but the the big thing, like you said, with J.J. McCarthy making those timely throws, it seemed like any time that they needed a play, J.J. was able to make it. Now, that was whether he's sitting in the pocket making that throw to Roman Wilson that got debated, threading the needle, or if he's coming, extending the play with his legs, coming to his right, throwing back across his body to Cornelius Johnson. That was one of the best throws that you'll see of the season 
And it just happened to happen in a big moment. And, you know, sometimes amazing happens and amazing did happen there. JJ McCarthy did it. And that was something else that helped Michigan win that football game. They were a disciplined team. You know, they had the three penalties, but honestly, all teams make mistakes during the games, but Michigan very disciplined as a football team. They capitalize in the crucial moments. And one thing we know is Jim Harbaugh wasn't on the sideline. And we touched on this too, saying they have a veteran team. You know, you have the 44 seniors. Sharon Moore's done this before as a coach this season in this spot. And you have a veteran quarterback in J.J. McCarthy, who's kind of Jim Harbaugh Jr. there, was able to keep the team together. They have good leadership on that team, and it showed there in the big moments. Yeah, I, I think for me, watching this game and, and all the stuff leading up to it, of course, Michigan with that sign-stealing scandal and all the other stuff that's going down off the field – um, within the program, and, and there's still some questions that need to be answered on that. We'll see if and when that comes. Um, it's It just felt like this game kind of had a different energy to it. Obviously, there was significant pressure on both teams. Uh, on Ohio State, they haven't won the game in a couple of years, going on the road this time, uh, trying to keep their undefeated season intact. Same with Michigan, a lot of pressure on them, trying to prove they're for real without Jim Harbaugh. Um playing an Ohio State team that, you know, people thought would be revved up and ready to go. Uh, it just seemed like there was a lot of pressure. We didn't get those, you know, the scrappy fights or, you know, any of that extracurricular stuff we normally get. There just wasn't a lot of that. And it, it almost seemed like, you know, both teams on some level were just going through the motions. And I, and, and I didn't really like that, especially in what is really the most consequential game in the, the remaining history of the rivalry, considering what's going to happen over the next couple of years with the expanded playoff and the possibility that these teams will play multiple times per season. Uh, it, you know, it, it didn't live up to all the hype for me. And, and I, I wonder if I'm the only one feeling this way or if it's just feeling this way because Ohio State lost. Uh, but even last year, 2022 and 2021, I just felt like there was more energy surrounding the game. And, and Blake, I don't know, again, maybe I'm off on this, but that's just kind of how it felt to me. It felt to me like, you know, it, it should have been more pop and circumstance for this one, considering what was at stake uh, this year and what it meant for the future of the rivalry. David, I'm going to double click on what you just said. I'm, I want to unpack this because I think you're on the right track and how I would perceive this is similar to you, but I would say that we saw everything going on with Connor Stein's, the science stealing investigation, Jim Harbaugh's being suspended. All of these things were going against Michigan, the games in Ann Arbor. Everyone's questioning whether the last two years were legitimate or not going into this game. All the pressure was on Michigan heading into this game. Then all of a sudden, on Friday, you just got this sense that that was not the case. All of a sudden, the pressure found its way onto Ryan Day and Ohio State, and it kind of reversed. You saw Sharon Moore going forward on fourth down, being the aggressor, taking those chances. Now, not that Ryan Day didn't take shots or anything like that, but just from a coaching standpoint, what you thought the team with not nothing to lose, but who would play looser would have been Ohio State, and it was Michigan, if you saw it in the big moments. And it found a way. Now Ryan Day's like, oh, you can't lose to an interim head coach. You can't lose the game three years in a row. Well, let's hold on a second here. This rivalry is based on teams going back and forth. There's upsets in this game, and there's times where teams go on runs in this rivalry. It's the greatest in sports for a reason. It has sustained greatness. It's one of the most dead-even rivalries you have in all of sports, really. And Michigan found a way to put that pressure onto Ryan Day and Ohio State. And I think that's where that energy differential was that you're talking about where, all right, this game maybe didn't have the pomp and circumstance that we did. And I still thought that 
I mean, the hype and the anticipation around this game was unlike anything we've seen in college football in a long time. And it was the most highly rated regular season game we've seen in over a decade. It was the average TV rating was over 19 million viewers. It peaked at 22 million. I mean, those are college football playoff semifinal numbers for a regular season game. Gus Johnson said it when we opened the broadcast. He said, welcome to the first round of the college football playoff. And that was certainly how that game unfolded because those two are worthy teams. When I'm watching that game, nothing told me neither of those teams belonged in the top four. I know we harped on Michigan's resume all year. They hadn't played anybody. They hadn't gotten a big win. If this game was flipped and Ohio State scored that touchdown on on that final drive there and they won 31 to 30, I don't care that Michigan only beat Penn State this year. I don't care that Jim Harbaugh wasn't there. Michigan would have been in the top four for me too, because those are two of the best teams in the country. Yeah, I, I think they are two of the best teams in the country. And again, I mean, you know, Vegas, Vegas knows what Vegas knows. And I think the spread was good. And I think Michigan was favored by three and a half points for a reason. Um, and Ohio State lost by six. And, you know, I think, I think that's, that's valid. And I like what you said there in, in relation to what Gus Johnson had to say uh, when they opened the broadcast, I thought he made a great point. Point that it was the first round of the college football playoff because that's exactly how it felt. Um, but at the same time, you know, Ryan Day certainly was not aggressive. Sharon Moore was in the key moments that that pass that Donovan Edwards threw going forward on fourth down when Ryan Day elected to play it more conservative a few times. Um, I was impressed by the way Sharon Moore handled the moment. Um, I think he will certainly be a head coach somewhere next year. Um, and yeah, I think I think for the Wolverines it was a job well done, and I think the Buckeyes have a lot to hang their hat on. Uh, obviously, it's embarrassing to go home with a loss, but at the same time, you know, it's a team that battled, a team that changed some things up from last year, and made it a very competitive football game um, in a game that they were not favored to win. So, um, you know, just a, a well played game, like you said, opening the show, uh, and both of these teams are certainly two of the best four in the country, and um, obviously Ohio State needs some help. Maybe we'll be lucky enough to get another matchup, but. Uh, yeah, it's, it was it was a great game, and it's a shame that we won't get another one like it in the future with, with how the 12-team playoff is unfolding and the Big Ten's new championship game rules and whatnot next year. David, the other thing I want to touch on, too, you mentioned Sharon Moore may certainly be a head coach somewhere else next year. Whether or not that's in the maize and blue remains to be seen there. But let's talk about Ryan Day here for a second. What's next for Ryan Day in Ohio State? We saw so much reaction from Ohio State fans because if you really look at this now, I understand this rivalry has gone back and forth for over 100 years. I understand that Michigan dominated the 90s, but recency bias is a thing. And since the turn of the century has happened, Ohio State has absolutely dominated Michigan in this rivalry, no matter what. They had won 16 of 17 at one point. COVID happens, now Michigan's won three straight. That's kind of where it turned. But it's like all of a sudden... Ohio State has to win this game every single year, and that's just not how this rivalry works. Fan or not, you have got to be able to understand what you're looking at. And I know Ryan Day lost the game for the third year in a row, and I know he's the head coach and it falls on him. But this game did not look like 2021 or 2022. There were glaring reasons the Buckeyes lost those two football games. The reason they lost a good game on Saturday was because Michigan's a really, really good football team. And you know what? If they play that game 10 times on a neutral field, Ohio State probably wins more of them. But Ohio State was minus two in the turnover battle. Michigan had more of the aggressive plays. They called their shots. Like You mentioned the Donovan Edwards pass. That was one of the best plays that you'll see this college football season from a calculated risk standpoint. It was perfect. No one saw it coming. Short yard situation, and they threw it. So for Ryan Day, what's next for him? Do the Buckeyes move off of him? 
Do we need to calm Ohio State fans down? That's certainly the camp that I'm in. I think Brian Day is a great coach. He's 56-7, and seven, but 1-3 and three against Michigan, and that's how you're evaluated in Columbus. He's 56-7, and seven, but those seven losses have come at very, very, very bad times, all seven of them. And it's tough. It's really tough. And if Ryan Day instead of being born in Manchester, New Hampshire, was born in Newark, Ohio, and everything else stayed the same, I wonder if people would have the same opinion. I think that him being an outsider, being a relatively quick riser to this job, kind of Urban's hand-picked successor. They didn't do a national search after Urban retired. It was a relatively easy internal promotion. Um, and I think that's that's not Day's fault. And at the same time, yeah. I just I don't know. I don't know what Ohio State can do. I think they need more energy in this rivalry. I don't know where it comes from. Um, you know, they got James Laurinaitis, Brian Hartline, Tim Walton, three former Buckeyes on staff. Obviously, a lot of Ohio kids who grew up watching Ohio State beat Michigan every year on the roster. But at the same time, it just feels like the energy has kind of changed. Ryan Day seems to be under a little bit more pressure. Um and his losses have come at inopportune times. And, and obviously, you know, you look at what Urban Meyer did. He had some pretty bad losses in there as well. Of course, that, that 2016 through 2018 run, um, there were some pretty bad losses mixed in there. And, and I don't think people forget that. Um, at the same time, Ryan Day has not won a championship. Urban Meyer won one in his third year and really could have won one in his first year uh, had they not been banned from the postseason. Um, Ryan Day now here in what? This is year four is going to be on the outside of the college football playoff looking in once again. And, and you start to wonder like, okay, 12 teams next year, like you got to make it every year. And these next couple of years, you got to make a run. You got to get there. You got to win one. You got the talent. It's time. Push your chips in. It's time. You know, I don't know if it's next year. I know Ohio state's roster outlook probably looks better for 2025 than it does for 2024. Um, if they lose next year to Michigan, do you give them another chance? I mean, these are these are questions that need to be answered, and I think he'll likely be on the hot seat going into 2024, and I think it is somewhat deserved. And I know a lot of people say 56 and 7. You can't fire 56 and 7. But at the same time, how, how many coaches would do worse than that at Ohio State? I feel like 56 and 7 is almost the floor at Ohio State, considering the, the resources and the prestige and the tradition that the program has, the tradition of excellence that Ohio state has, I feel like 56 and seven is almost the floor for the program. So yeah, I mean, Ryan Day's in a tough spot. Keep plugging and chugging. I'm sure some changes will be made this off season and uh, we'll see what happens. David, I'm going to say one statement. I want you to react to it. Michigan did not fire. zero and five. Michigan did not fire. zero and five. They did not fire. zero and five. However, Jim Harbaugh, the prodigal son, Again, that's kind of what I'm going back to, what I'm saying about Ryan Day's New Hampshire ties versus if he was born in Ohio. I think he gets some more leeway if he was born in Ohio, like Jim Harbaugh did. He was a great player for the Wolverines. Obviously, a lot of ties to that program throughout his you know entire life. Um, and I think if it was another coach, maybe they do fire him after 0-5. But I think with his ties to the program, being a former player and all that, um, that's why he was able to, to continue that leash and, and continue leading that program. No, it's certainly a fair point. And he he had a battle with the administration, too. I, I know that from people that I've talked to, and they finally gave him more of that full control over the football program, similar to what Urban had at Ohio State when he said to Gene Smith, you know, I'm the CEO of this thing. I don't want to 
you know, I, I answer to you and to the president. I don't need everyone having an opinion over the football program. And Harbaugh dealt with a lot of that in his early years. And now he has more full control. He's advocating for a player revenue share. Like he's for the players. He's a player's coach. He has his culture established now. We'll see what happens after this season. They lose a lot to the NFL and his future could be in jeopardy there with the pending NCAA investigations. So we'll see how all that plays out. But let's turn this page onto the college football platform. Michigan's likely headed. David, who's in? We look at the rankings, Georgia sitting atop, Michigan right behind, followed by Washington and Florida State rounding out the top four, the undefeated teams. Sitting right behind them, you have Oregon, Ohio State, Texas, and Alabama. So let's start with Texas and Alabama. Do the two of those teams have a path to get to the Final Four? And what would that look like? I think they do. I think both of those teams can still jump Ohio State. Uh, I was honestly a little surprised. I know on our on our playoff predictions, I, I predicted Texas as being number six. I was surprised that that was not the case. Um, I think both of those teams have a shot. They both need Florida State to lose, obviously, as does Ohio State. Um, so then they, you know, Florida State. If Florida State wins, all this is pretty much blown up, and you would get likely Georgia, Michigan, Florida State, and the Pac-12 winner. That's my take. I, I think even if Oregon beats Washington, I think they jump the Buckeyes. I think if Texas beats Oklahoma State, they jump the Buckeyes. Alabama is in a little bit of a tougher spot. I agree with what the committee did, ranking them behind Texas. I think, obviously, that head-to-head win carries weight, um, and I'm glad that the committee recognized that. I think it'll be tough for Alabama. Uh, I think Georgia wins that game anyway, though, so I'm not I'm not really you know pushing it too hard just considering what I think is going to actually happen in that game. Uh, I think Texas, though, has a reasonable shot, but Florida State is is the key here. If Florida State wins, they're in. If they lose, they're out. So I think they're the key. Those three teams, Ohio State, Texas, and Alabama, will be watching that game. Florida State and Louisville, seeing what happens there. And then Oregon and Washington will be interesting, too. I think uh, Texas and Alabama certainly are rooting for Washington at this point, um, just to, to eliminate Oregon to- in totality with their two losses. Um so, yeah, I think there's a lot more storylines this weekend, and I think all three of those teams still have hope. Uh, I would say Texas probably has the best chance out of the three, uh, but all of them are still alive. When I look at the rankings, I see Ohio State sitting there at six. And if you look historically in the CFP era, no team lower than six has vaulted into the top four between the penultimate rankings and Selection Sunday. So that's something to watch as well. We've never had a team like it could be Texas, like you're mentioning, or even Alabama jump from seven, eight or lower to at least number four to get into the field. So that will make history if that does in fact happen. But David, another team you were mentioning was Oregon and Florida State. Is it as simple as win and in for Oregon? Let's start with, and then we'll move to Florida State. I think it is. I, if if I was on a committee, I, I would probably put them in over Ohio State. I, I don't know who's the better team, and Oregon won their conference. Uh, they both have one loss. Ohio State's loss is, is a better loss, um, but they both have one loss. Oregon has some impressive wins. Ohio State has some impressive wins. But Oregon won their conference. I know that carries a lot of weight for the for the CFP. Um, so for Oregon, I, th- I think, yes, if, if you win, they'll probably get that fourth spot. Um maybe the third spot, depending on the result of the Florida State game. Um, but yeah, for Oregon, I, I would say yes. If I was on the committee, they would get they would get my vote if, if they win this game. What if Alabama upsets Georgia? Then who do you give that spot to? Is it an Oregon beats Washington? What do you do if that happens? 
That's where I think it gets muddy. Uh, if you have the game where Alabama where, yeah. wins and you have to deal with Alabama, Georgia, and Texas, that cluster, then even if Florida – it doesn't matter what Florida State does because if Florida State's undefeated, they would go in that scenario because I think Florida State just has to win and get in. Maybe there's a world where Alabama wins, and now this debate becomes between Georgia, Alabama, and Florida State. What do you do in that conundrum either? Florida State having a backup quarterback – We'll see. I don't think you're going to be able to argue a zero in the loss column for the Knowles. I do not think so. I think if they win the game, they have to go because they're undefeated. They couldn't have done anything more than what they have done, and that's win all 13 of their games. That has to be rewarded. If we're going to reward Texas's head-to-head results over Alabama, you have to reward Florida State's 13 wins. And I understand the backup quarterback argument. I don't think they would win a game in the playoff with Tate Rodemaker the way he's playing because he just doesn't have that experience yet unless he pulls a Cardell Jones, which is possible. But I think if you compare teams, you're like, all right, well, the eye test would tell me Florida State's not as good, but Florida State deserves because they're undefeated. But back to that point, David, if Oregon beats Washington and Alabama goes ahead and beats Georgia, what do you do? So you would have Georgia sitting at the top and then they would lose. Now you're looking at Michigan, the Big Ten champion, assuming that they win, they would go in, and then you would have Washington fall out because Oregon would win, so the Pac-12 winner now in that mix, and then let's say Florida State wins. So looking at all of that, that would lead me to believe that Oregon would be in, Michigan would be in, Florida State would be in, And then do you put Georgia? Do you bump Ohio State up? What do you look for in that moment? I think that's going to be the biggest key for the committee is what do they value when looking at that whole scenario. Do you like retro apparel with vintage logos or do you prefer more current? Either way, Homefield has you covered. They pride themselves on celebrating the history and tradition of colleges and universities across the nation while also highlighting the present day. With over 150 schools to choose from, check out Homefield for all your apparel needs this season. Whether it's a t-shirt, hoodie, or loungewear, Homefield is the only place you should shop for your favorite college apparel. Use code CADENCE at checkout to receive 15% off your first order today. So, David, you can't argue a zero in the loss column for Florida State. So, for the Knowles, I do think it's win and in for them, even with Tate Rodemaker at quarterback. I get that this argument could happen where, hey, an eye test judgment, a football judgment, that would tell me, okay, Alabama would beat Florida State, Texas would beat Florida State, Ohio State would beat Florida State. But Florida State did what was asked of them, and they won all 13 games in their season. So if we're honoring Texas's head-to-head result beating Alabama, we have to honor Florida State's on-field results where they've won all 13 of the games placed in front of them this year as a Power 5 champion. So returning back to Oregon, what do you do if Michigan wins the Big Ten, Florida State wins, Oregon beats Washington, Texas wins, and then Alabama beats Georgia is it as simple as win and in for Oregon in that scenario because you would have two undefeated champions in Michigan and Florida State you would have one loss Georgia one loss Washington one loss champion Oregon one loss champion Texas and one loss champion Alabama plus one loss non-champion Ohio State 
I think in that scenario, what I would do is I would obviously include Michigan and Florida State as the two undefeated champions. And I would probably go Texas and, and Alabama. Obviously, Texas is a good team winning the Big 12. Alabama lost to Texas. That's it. They beat Georgia, who's been number one pretty much all year. I think those would be the four most deserving teams, in my opinion. Oregon's win would be kind of devalued because they lost to the team that they just beat. So either their loss is is increased or their win is decreased or both. Um, so I think in that scenario, my my pick would be Michigan, Florida State, Texas, and Alabama. I think that's fair. That's what you would have to do is reward the conference champions because they would have the tiebreakers. I do not think there's a world that Alabama goes to the playoff without Texas. You have to honor the head-to-head result. Nothing can happen where Alabama goes to the playoff without Texas unless Texas does, in fact, get their second loss, in which case they're eliminated. This is assuming Texas and Alabama win. Alabama cannot go to the playoff without Texas, but Texas can go to the playoff without Alabama. So, David, two, Ohio State sitting there at number six, 11 and one. Only loss is to the number two team in the country who is undefeated on the road by six. Is there a path for Ohio State to slide into the playoff like we saw last year? Uh, yeah, maybe. They need a lot of help. They need Florida State to lose, certainly. A Texas loss, uh, almost certainly. Uh, although the committee putting them behind Ohio State, I'm not sure a win over uh, a pretty mid Oklahoma state team would be enough to jump the Buckeyes unless they, they pulled a 2014 Buckeyes and just thrash Oklahoma state. Um, so I think, I think, yeah, the path exists. Florida state loses. You probably want Oregon to lose. Um, Georgia needs to win and ideally Oklahoma state wins. Um, although that last one might might not be necessary. I think that's the path for Ohio State. It exists. It's there, but it's unlikely. I agree, and I think Florida State has to lose for Ohio State to get in. There's no other way Ohio State can find an open space into that playoff with, that, with a Florida State win. Now, I'm not convinced Texas has to lose for Ohio State to go to the playoff. Now, it certainly helps, like you said, but when those two teams are close, the conference championship will be a factor but it's not going to be the end-all be-all there for the Longhorns over the Buckeyes. And I think Ohio State can win a football judgment argument over Texas. So, David, let's slide into our championship weekend picks here. Right, We've got seven conference championship games. We're going to start with Conference USA. The Liberty Flames are at home. They've won a school record 12 games. They are 12-0 and for the first time in program history, hosting New Mexico State there on the mountain in Lynchburg, Liberty favored by 10 and a half. Yeah, fun matchup. Jamie Chadwell's done an unbelievable job in his first year at Liberty, 12 and 0. Pretty impressive. Jerry Kill on the other side, of course, longtime Minnesota guy, comes over to New Mexico State, revives that program. So well done by both of these teams, both of these coaches, both of these programs. Really impressive. I think Liberty gets it done this week. Um, I think they keep their undefeated season intact and Obviously, Blake, I know you got some ties to the school there, so rooting for you guys this weekend. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to make this pick on Alyssa's behalf there. I'm taking Liberty and Liberty to cover because I've been of this population looking at the New Year's Six birth, thinking the group of five team could go to Liberty there. They've finally gotten ranked by the playoff committee the last two weeks. They're sitting two spots behind Tulane, who has to play SMU. So if everything falls their way or if Liberty leaves no doubt, they can find themselves right there in a New Year's Six game, which would be great for the program. So on behalf of our esteemed analyst, Alyssa, I'm going to take Liberty to win and cover there at home and win that Conference USA Championship at 13-0. and 
we will move on now to that two-lane game. They are playing SMU. Green Wave are four-point favorites. David, who do you like? I like Tulane here. They've been there before. Um, obviously, last year, going on to, to get that group of five near six bid and beating USC uh, was very impressive, and I think they get back there this year. Um, they've just been there before. Willie Fritz has done an unbelievable job there, um, and I think Tulane wins the AAC and gets that New Year's Six nod, unfortunately for Alyssa and the Liberty Flame fan base. Yeah, Tulane has been there before. They have the big game experience, the lone loss coming at the hands of Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss this season. SMU, they'll come to town. I watched them play Temple when they were here in Philly. SMU's offense, they can throw it around. So let us let me take the Mustangs here to get that four-point cover there and upset the green wave. And uh, we'll see what the committee does there with the New Year's Six bid. Should go to Liberty in that sense. But we'll see if the Mustangs do get an argument there or if a team like Toledo could backdoor in. Now we will go to the Big 12, Oklahoma State playing Texas. The Longhorns favored by 15 and a half, a big spread in this conference championship game. Yeah, I like Oklahoma State to cover here, Texas to win. I think it's a big, big spread, like you said. I think the Longhorns get it done. They know it's at stake. I think ultimately Texas comes out ahead here. Uh, but Oklahoma State does cover. I think they'll have a lot of fans at that game. Mike Gundy, obviously, been there before. A guy who's pulled some upsets before, so... I like them to cover, but I think Texas wins. I'm with you on that pick, David. I like Oklahoma State as well. 15 and a half points is a lot of points in a conference championship game. And unless your school is named Iowa, where you don't have an offense, I will take those points with the underdog here. But we'll get to that Big Ten championship game in a minute. The other Friday night game is Oregon. Nine and a half point favorites over Washington, the team that beat them at Husky Stadium just a couple of weeks ago. Does Oregon cover this nine and a half, leave no doubt, and continue to pass that domination eye test that the committee has praised for the last couple of weeks? Nine and a half is tough. I think it'll be close, but I think it'll ultimately be like a touchdown-ish. Uh, I'm going to give Washington the cover here, and again, Oregon the win. Yeah, David, I'm I'm with you. I really like um, I really like Washington to cover in this game too. It's disrespectful. They're undefeated. They've beaten Oregon before. Not to say Washington needed to be favored again. But nine and a half is a lot of points for a top five matchup now in this game. There's just no way that Michael Penix, Caleb DeBoer, and Washington can let that happen. So I'm going to take them to cover. I do think, though, Oregon will win this version of the game, as I said earlier in the season. So I'm going to stick with that pick. The Ducks do win, but Washington covers. Now we'll go to the Big Ten championship game. Quick pick here, 22-point spread Wolverines over Iowa. Could be some drama there at the end of this game, which I'll get to after my pick. I like the Wolverines to cover here. I, I'm just not sold that Iowa's going to score a single point. Um, I think Michigan gets it done. Yeah, Michigan could score 24 points in cover here. I just do not see Iowa putting up much of a fight offensively. And uh, what a sight we could have if Tony Petiti does indeed decide to attend the Big Ten Championship game and has to hand that trophy to Jim Harbaugh after the suspension. So could have some – the trophy presentation could be more entertaining than the game itself is what I'm trying to say. So stay tuned into that broadcast there if you're into drama. Now we'll head out to the ACC, Florida State, two-and-a-half-point favorites with Tate Rotomaker at quarterback against Louisville, which just dropped a game to Kentucky. Who wins the ACC, and does Florida State get to the college football playoffs? They were tested last week by Florida and, and prevailed, and I think they get it done again this week. Louisville did not look good against Kentucky. Uh, I think Florida State gets it done and cements themselves in the 14 field this weekend. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see Louisville win this football game just because of the backup quarterback narrative. But I think Florida State knows what's at stake. Mike Norvell's done an outstanding job 
in Tallahassee there. And I think Florida State's going to find a way to cover. It's only two and a half. So Florida State's going to find their way into the college football playoff with a win because, like we said, winning in cannot argue with the zero in that loss column. Now we will head down south to the SEC. Georgia, six and a half point favorites. David, when was the last time you remember Alabama as a touchdown underdog in this game? Nick Saban loves playing in Atlanta, but are they going to have enough to upset the dogs here on Saturday night? Yeah, I've been on this Nick Saban train all year long. And, you know, obviously Alabama's not dead till they're dead. I've said it a hundred times, but, you know, I just like Georgia a little bit more this week. Kirby Smart um, and Nick Saban, you know, fun battle. This is, you know, the next great battle in the SEC. We'll see how long Saban lasts at Alabama, obviously getting up there in age. But this is going to be a fun one. Like you said, Nick Saban loves playing in Atlanta. Uh, but I think the dogs just have a little bit more this week and get it done. So does Georgia cover there, David, that six and a half, a big number? I think they do. I think they do. All right. I'm going to counter you here. I'm going to say Alabama covers. I still think Georgia wins the game. But Jalen Miller is going to find some uh, heroics again. He's going to carry that Jordan Hare magic into Mercedes-Benz Stadium there. Alabama's going to cover. Georgia's going to win this football game and return to the college football playoff as the number one seed for the third straight season. David, a big weekend on tap as we sort out probably the most contested college football playoff race that we've had to date. It comes in its final edition of the four-team format. We've got eight teams still in contention. It's going to be really fun seeing how all of this shakes out on Friday and Saturday night. It's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, rooting for chaos as always should be a fun weekend and may the best teams win absolutely guys thank you for listening enjoy the football games continue to stay tuned to our coverage at saturday cadence on instagram and twitter or x and at saturday cadence pod on tiktok for david wertheim i am blake biscardi thank you for listening and enjoy the weekend of college football as we await the results for the college football playoff Thank you for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast and follow our coverage by tuning into our website, tsilverbulletin.com and following us on social media at tsilverbulletin on Instagram and Twitter, as well as at Saturday Cadence on Twitter. If you follow social outlets, you will stay up to date with the latest recruiting news, the latest around college football and the latest just touch points where we can post clips from the show and you guys can continue to digest content in any way that we can get it to you. Also, if you would share the show, we would greatly appreciate that as we continue to grow our audience. Again, thank you guys for listening.